This is Series 5 of Brave New Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Lou Hamilton, and I welcome you to the Women's Impact Project, in which my guests share how they are positively impacting the world and the courage it takes to do so. If you're interested in making a difference by guesting on podcasts, you can find out how in my latest book, Dare to Share. This week's guest is Anna Murphy. She's a sustainability consultant specializing in the future fit business benchmark that guides the pursuit of a truly sustainable society. She's currently studying an MPA in public policy, public value and innovation at UCL. Welcome Anna to Brave New Girl podcast. Hi Anna, how are you? Hi, I'm fine, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Nice to see you. Well, this is the first one of uh, first recording of the new year of 2022. So uh, let's hope it's going to be a good one, uh, will, a good year. I'll do my best, Lou. Do <laughs> it'll my definitely best. be. A, it'll be a good, <laughs> a good recording. But let's hope it's going to be a good 2022. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we're we're still in a pandemic, and towards the end of last year, we had. COP26 sort of right bang in the middle of of COVID and I wonder whether COVID somewhat kind of has pushed the climate crisis into the background but do you think that anything came out of COP26 that is useful and will actually make a difference? Yeah that's a really interesting question and you know you will have seen the headlines there were lots of there were lots of different announcements I think the general conclusion was that some technical progress was made but that a lot of that was more incremental than it should have been given the fact that we need really transformative change in the next decade we need to half emissions by by 2030. That said a piece of evidence which I think is really important to demonstrate that progress is being made albeit not sufficiently is the fact that the the ratcheting process which was set out in the Paris Agreement was tested for the first time and it is to some extent proving to be successful. So in the Paris Agreement, what countries committed to was increasing their level of ambition every five years in terms of the carbon reductions that they would make. At the Paris Agreement, they made a set of emissions reductions targets which would put the world on track for 3.7 by by 2100. And after Paris at COP26, they then updated those commitments And if they are all fulfilled, then we will reach 2.5 degrees by 2100, which is obviously not acceptable. We need to get to 1.5, but it does show that 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 process is beginning to work. And just thinking back to pre-2018, you know, no country had explicitly said we are in a climate emergency. And now many, many countries around the world have said that shows that change is happening and it is happening faster than actually we acknowledge yeah, that, that kind of gives me hope for the future. <laughs> what's the likelihood of us getting to 1.5 in time? And what's the in time look like? That's a horrible question. I wouldn't want to pin a likelihood on it. I think the thing that gives me most hope is emerging evidence of these social and technological tipping points, because The earth system that we live in is very complex. The social system that we live in is very complex. And we as humans, I think, tend to believe that change happens in quite a linear way. 
And actually, it doesn't at all. It can happen in a very non-linear way. And that's both bad because in terms of the environment, we are beginning to pass these environmental tipping points, which makes irreversible change uh, much more likely. And that is really scary. But at the same time, there are social tipping points which we need to nudge forward, which will result in this set of kind of positive cascading self-reinforcing feedback loops, which then really quickly accelerates change in the right direction. So if we can be really smart about public policy and regulation and technological innovation, then the possibility of staying within 1.5 will go up significantly. And I think we are beginning to realize and to, to harness those kinds of dynamics. I want to talk more about what you're trying to do personally and also what we can all do personally but first I want to give a bit of a context and and look back to you as a child where you always someone that looked outwardly and sort of focused on righting the world's wrongs or was that something that sort of crept up on you a bit later? Uh, I think it's fair to say I cried a lot as a child at all these random things that I saw not random things that I saw on telly but you know I remember um or not just on telly I remember this really embarrassing story that mum likes to remind me of when I was learning about Mary Queen of Scots and the fact that she got beheaded when I was about eight years old and just cried my eyes out at the dining room table um because I was like that's so unfair why did she get beheaded this is awful you know and then learning about the orangutans I've you know I've always really loved up to orangutans and gorillas and, and other primates and remember learning about them on television and the fact that that so much deforestation was was resulting in orangutans becoming endangered so I remember getting really upset at that and you know Diane Fossey this amazing conservationist in uh in R Rwanda she was killed by poachers trying to protect the mountain gorillas so I did get very upset about those kinds of things there were then a couple of experiences which I think really changed my outlook from okay I want to be someone who who does good things with my life and and feels aligned to okay this is really really complicated actually driving you know driving positive change is really complicated because the world is really messy how do I make sure that I'm as informed as I possibly can be so that not only do I drive change effectively but I never do harm in the process of trying to make the world a better place for one of a better term and one of those experiences was volunteering in Tanzania when I was about 18 which is unfortunately what a whole bunch of people go and do and I in the process of of volunteering and you know teaching I feel actually really embarrassed talking about it now because it feels so misaligned with what I believe in. But, you know, going and teaching English and building toilets and doing all of these classic volunteering things, I felt so strongly like I was in the wrong place. I wasn't equipped to do to do the tasks. And those tasks were actually more a part of the problem than they were a part of a solution, a sustainable solution for, for people's livelihoods there. So I went and studied the history of colonialism and post-colonialism at university and kind of learned how this so-called development industry and essentially the aid sector that's come out of it has grown out of colonial countries racist and economically motivated desire to maintain control over these countries so I think that was one experience which made me think okay 
it's not just about you wanting to make the world a better place. It's about you really deeply understanding the dynamics at play so that when you go about trying to drive change, you are doing so sensitively and humbly and you are not doing damage uh, in the first place. I remember, I think I first met you when you were about to go to Calais or when you came back. And so how did that fit into this emerging picture that you were beginning to carve for yourself? Yeah, that might actually have been in 2015, which is when there was this huge, it was all over the media in in the UK, not for the first time, but I think in quite an unprecedented way. And it was the same summer, I think, where I had interned at the Palestinian mission, having studied a lot of Middle Eastern politics the year before. Did it frustrate you more or did it make you feel clearer about what you needed to be doing moving forward? Uh, it was both frustrating and confusing. And I think what I've I've felt strongly about for the past few years is really seeing what's going on and not just being stuck in academia and behind my laptop to as a form of learning but actually getting out into the world being really important so I think that was was part of that but at the same time it was also probably part of you know it's all very well caring about about changing the world in a positive way but at some point you need to choose a problem and stick with it because you cannot do everything and I think at that point in time I was really interested in the immigration crisis or refugee crisis whatever you want to call it is kind of all the language is problematic but I was really interested in in that and I think since then actually since my first job I've become much more focused on the climate crisis yeah so it was it was part of that very experimental phase and before we get into how you got into really working to to help um, sustainability in the climate crisis there was something that you talked about which was how much you put out of yourself into social compassion and caring for the world and balancing that with understanding that you're not going to be able to do everything and so what's the point where you think this is enough and and I'm balancing that with looking after myself too (laughs) that's a really good question and I think it touches on two things one is the what is yeah the, the what is enough kind of what is your playing field going to be and again that experience in Tanzania was really formulative I think in terms of making me realize that I was not proud to be British given the way that given Britain's history and the way that that Britain still kind of conducts itself abroad and it made me think okay rather than going to other countries and trying to fix other countries in some kind of white savior way I really want to be part of building a country where I'm from that I'm really proud to be a part of but coming back to the yeah what what is doing enough at a personal level and when do you say okay I can be satisfied COVID and the pandemic in some ways has been quite formulative in terms of making me realize when that is, I got really involved with Extinction Rebellion after reading into loads of climate science right at the beginning of lockdown, just because I think I had that bit more free time as we all did. Well, that's not everybody did, but a lot of people did. Got really involved with the Extinction Rebellion 
organized local protests, got involved in their, their big national protests in London and felt totally emotionally burnt out afterwards, especially because of the way that the press reacted and my interpretation of that at the time, thinking, oh, was that actually constructive? Has that actually raised awareness in a way that's going to drive change, which now I believe it has. But at that point in time when the press was being really brutal, I, I wasn't sure. Anyway, got got really burnt out and then ended up turning to things like wild swimming and hill walking to sort of re-nourish myself and now have a couple of personal rules like do not open your laptop on a Sunday and just get out into nature as much as possible, which I think mean that I can work really really hard and know I've just got the balance of knowing how hard I can work and knowing uh, when I need to regenerate myself and how much I need to do that in order to be really effective when I'm when I'm focused. And so you then got into um, looking at and helping guide businesses in their in their bid to be more sustainable. Can you talk a bit about that what it was and why again you felt that that wasn't enough and that, that there was another place that you could put your your focus but first what what were you trying to do with future fit yeah so future fit is a charity which has an online tool for impact measurement and management and that is great because pioneering companies who want to be really ambitious with their sustainability can pick up that tool which is openly available online and they can they can run with it and use it to as great or or little and as an extent as they would like for their climate strategy and, and impact measurement. The reason the reason that I felt it it wasn't enough was because the level of change that we need is fundamentally political. We cannot do this without much more political systemic change, and that needs to be led by governments and policymakers around the world. And so that was the reason that I decided to get involved with Extinction Rebellion because one of their headline messages is this is a government failure and it is government that needs to take the lead. Um, So that's the reason I got involved. Why I've now turned to business consulting using FutureFit as well as various other tools, to be honest, is because I enjoy it. I actually took it up last summer before planning to start a master's in economics and public policy and innovation i actually ended up changing that master's to part-time because i was loving the consulting so much and i think what i'm now doing is trying to bring this really activist lens from that i've gained through extinction rebellion and just watching the the fridays for future youth strikes and the language that they use and the demands that they make and trying to bring that lens to businesses Part of that comes from some of the reading that I did before starting the master's and now doing the master's by the likes of Mariana Mazzucato and Hajun Chang, who argue that markets are inherently political. You know, there is no such thing as a free market because any market that we have has some kind of regulation and some kind of boundaries. You know, it didn't used to be illegal. You know, child labor didn't used to be illegal. Slavery didn't used to be illegal. And at some point in time, society decided that those things were unacceptable and therefore that regulate that laws needed to be put in place so that those things were no longer permitted. Therefore, businesses and the way that they conduct themselves and the way that they react to rules or lobby for rules is extremely important. 
yeah, what what I really care about is understanding how business can operate in markets which are fundamentally political and how they can, I guess, use them and work within them to drive positive change. Is that to say then that we wait for policy change before we as individuals or as businesses crack on and do what we need to do? Absolutely not. (laughs) No, we can and drive change ourselves. And you see that and you can see the implications of that, right? Like, you know, me and you have had conversations about the improving vegan options (laughs) available. And that has come from consumer demand and consumers changing their preferences is an amazing way to show business that there is a market for more sustainable products or yeah you know say vegan food or more sustainable fashion or things like that at the same time I don't believe that those market-driven changes alone are going to get us to 1.5 in or get us the carbon reductions in the time that we need to get them uh, in order to keep the world to under 1.5 degrees and that's why we need the political change um, which I mean my kind of rule of thumb with the way that I approach life is I want my career and the way that I I behave as a political citizen to be 10 out of 10 driving positive change whereas with my personal choices I'm happy to sort of settle for 7 out of 10 so you know, I'm mostly vegan, but sometimes eat meat and try as hard as I can not to fly, but don't have an electric car and, and things like that. That kind of compromise of seven out of 10 is fine because actually the the our main focus and where we should be putting 100% of our efforts, I think, is is in driving the political change that we need. So you're doing an, an MA um, in this and I, I like the title including it includes innovation mm. so um you're in a group of people who presumably are all working in the same direction <laughs> um but do you disagree are there things that that you that you all see in slightly different ways or are you all pushing the same cart uh, together that's a really interesting question i think what what brings us all together is this common motivator to drive political change um which i don't suspect would be the same had for example i chosen an mba where we what i'm still figuring out is the difference between a big state and a smart state and the role the balance of where the private sector should be is best equipped to drive technological innovation and where the state is best equipped to drive to drive change. So Mariana Mazzucato, who set up the Masters, has this quite well-known book called The Entrepreneurial State. And she's arguing that the state has been extremely important in investing in research and development and therefore driving innovation through history and in providing grants and subsidies and, and loans to companies such as Tesla, which have then gone on to drive innovation, which allows states and governments to then elevate their policy ambitions because the technology has made something such as electric vehicles much more possible. Now, she talks about a smart state rather than a big state. 
and yet a lot of the arguments that she makes do actually you know they they advocate for a much more proactive and therefore by default bigger state i am still not entirely sure where i land in this argument and think that it essentially is going to get down to the very the very technical detail of very specific situations so i'm still i'm still working these things out and to be honest if one thing has come out of the masters it's probably the fact that i'm going to leave with more questions than i have answers which is frustrating but again it's it's part of the process of of realizing how so many of these debates are there are decades worth of academic research and there are no easy answers and unlike in science where you can run experiments which can be repeated and you can tinker around in different ways to see exactly what drives what change in economics and in politics you cannot run those experiments so any decision that you make is inherently has a higher degree of uncertainty so that this is all kind of big picture stuff and people who are listening it's sort of frustrating on one level because you know how do we make governments change but um you know as individuals but as individuals how do we make changes for ourselves and so i remember asking you for myself you know what are the top four things that i could be doing next to have a positive impact and and so can you explain what those might be that the kind of the small things that we can do that do have a bit the as big an impact as possible yeah for sure i mean obviously it will depend slightly on what people are already doing as to what will drive most change in terms of what we can do as individuals some good rules of thumb are just stop flying or don't fly as often if you have to for work for example then use really credible carbon offsets don't eat meat or eat meat rarely and when you do be really careful about what you buy and try and buy regeneratively farmed meat or at least soil association organic that's a very comprehensive certification it's not quite regenerative but it is it's a very credible certification and it is also fairly accessible in supermarkets shift your money to a good place so whether you have money in a bank you can move to a bank such as triados move your pension to a sustainable pension and if you have investments try and put them into sustainable investments now that needs quite a lot of research because a lot of funds which claim to be esg or green or sustainable are actually not particularly esg or green or sustainable so that does require a little bit of legwork but the financial system is absolutely crucial to tackling the climate emergency so that will that is a really important thing to do but first and foremost i would say getting involved in something political or something activist to drive change is the most important thing and that's not just me saying that you know you get to the end of bill gates's book about the technological breakthroughs that we need to tackle the climate emergency and he gets to the you know he provides some advice for citizens for uh, governments and for businesses and for citizens he says you know get political if you can run for office and drive the green agenda run for office and drive the green agenda so yeah, he's saying that Christiana Figueres is saying that in the future we choose. She provides some really nice step-by-step guidance for, for people to take action and voting green is absolutely core to that. So I would say first and foremost, get political and then stop flying, eat less meat and make your finances sustainable. Do you have hope for the future? Yes, I do. 
<laughs> if you'd asked me that a year ago, I probably would have said no, but I've changed. <laughs> and what does that look like? I think we we have to have hope. Again, in this book, The Future We Choose, I can't remember exactly what the quote is, but the one of the core messages was not having hope is you essentially not taking responsibility for your own power to drive change. And so, you know, you deciding to be hopeless is an abdication of your own responsibility. And I think that was a really good form of tough love, which I and I imagine others who are kind of stuck in a hole of hopelessness at some point really need to hear. The reason that I have hope is the technological innovation and the tipping points that we are now seeing, you know, wind and solar energy have become cheaper than fossil fuel energy. And that's really exciting because it then just becomes the the common sense, financially savvy decision to start using clean energy rather than fossil fuel um, derived energy. So those kinds of things are giving me hope. And we can and we have to drive change. And so as we move forward, and as we take responsibility, and as we try to make an impact in our own ways, however small, how do you define courage? For me, it's committing to using my skills and my strengths and everything that makes me me to drive the most change that I possibly can, while deeply informing myself of the world that we live in, and how change happens, and how to drive positive change, and not do harm in the process. I think it's a a simultaneous commitment to do the very, very best that I can, while being extremely humble about the complexities of doing that. Thank you so much, Anna, for being a passionate driving force at the forefront of sustainability in business and policy, and for the personal impact you're making for the good of our planet. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Anna, for showing us that we can make a positive impact towards sustainability by taking small steps and doing what we can, where we can. You can find out more about her work on her blog at www.annamurf3.medium.com and follow her on LinkedIn at Anna Murphy. Thanks to Silk Studios for producing and sourcing the guests for the show. And thanks to you all for listening. Take care, choose courage, and see you next week.